It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN on this Wednesday. Scott Foster here with you, along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan. Susan Littlefield is in here also as we get things going. And we uh, started off with Susan. Good morning to you. Good morning. Sun's out. That's a good thing. The sun is out. Uh, the weather, at least to the west of us, not going to be so good uh, in the next next few hours anyway. But uh, it's it's going to get better. That's what spring does. <laughs> <laughs> it's called being patient. I know. Which we're we're learning a lot about right here in the last few days, aren't we? So, what do you got for us? Susan? Oh yeah. Well, we're going to kick it all off. It's actually going to be a two-part series. Uh, we'll hear it at uh, 1219 and at 117, as I had a nice extensive conversation with Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh this morning. And so we'll talk about a variety of different things, how big this umbrella is that his department covers and what it all means to agriculture. Yes, they are looking at what's going on in the beef prices. Yes, they're looking at dairy. But they're also talking about the ways that they're going to continue to get food movement, especially from some of those smaller packing facilities so lots of great information to come and then at 12:45, clay will finish out his series this is part two of two as they finish the conversation about food security through consumer choice so we'll have more coming up on that on the midday all right very good thank you susan appreciate it thank you we turn it over to jason jorgensen now today is national letter of intent day little bit different than it's been in the past. Uh, you don't have the kids gathering and getting the picture with some of their coaches and their folks. So that's it's kind of a sad deal. Well, it absolutely is, and 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 uh, that's I didn't even know that it was happening today. That's that's just it's such a weird thing. Nebraska head coach Fred Hoiberg hopes to sign five transfers today. So as he recycles the uh, roster, uh, he's expected to be a guest tonight on Sports Nightly. So if you'd like to get uh, Fred's comments. On this uh, recruiting class, that'll be on later on tonight. Of course, we'll cut some of that up and have that sports tomorrow. But the Huskers are excited about the guys they're bringing in. Hopefully, this bunch plays together a little bit better than the last bunch that we saw. Of course, the transfer portal has really changed college basketball. And you could see more people moving on if they indeed change the rule where every player gets to move once without losing a year right. of eligibility. I can't even imagine trying to be a college Basketball or college, any coach, where someone could just up and leave as a free agent. All the work that you put into yeah. getting them to come to your campus, and they can just, eh, I didn't like the way you looked at me. You yeah. know, wow. You didn't play me enough. That's, I wanted to start that game. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, tough business. Also, a UNK men's basketball coach, uh, Kevin Lofton. They hope to sign a couple of kids today. We'll tell you about one of them that Loper fans should be excited about. And we will hear from the new girls basketball coach at Gothenburg. So all of that and much more coming up in sports. And Jackie Robinson Day. Yes, Nobody knows that, but uh, you, I could put a 42 on my We have a story on that, too. Do you really? Mm -hmm. Well, you just covered all the bases. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jason. We turn over to Bob Brogan. Stocks down today a little bit. Why, Bob? Back and forth. Uh, Still concerned about the coronavirus outbreak and how much it's damaging the economy. Uh, American industry collapsed in March as the pandemic wreaked havoc on the U.S. economy. And Nebraskans who order takeout during the coronavirus pandemic may soon be able to uh, get other things as well. Uh, I'll take some, you know, a can of motor oil and... Uh, a side of Charmin. Yeah, throw in some uh, some toilet paper while you're at it. Uh, 
thanks to Governor Ricketts. All right, that's all coming up on Mid. Rely on KRVN for up-to-date information on COVID-19. From closings, the latest governor's press conference, and DHHS virus reports, we'll bring you the facts and latest news on the coronavirus. Visit our coronavirus information tab at krvn.com for up-to-the-minute local and state news, and tune in every weeknight at 5 p.m. for a special KRVN this evening. Depend on KRVN to keep you informed on COVID-19. COVID-19 coverage is brought to you by COZAD Community Health. Time for us to check in on our weather and see how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here with me. And, uh, you know, we've been watching these storms coming up. It looks like the panhandles. You know, it was interesting looking at the, what the Weather Service had. It was kind of try-on Oshkosh area, and then it fantails to the west kind of. Exactly, yeah, yeah, much of the southern Nebraska. The Panhandle, at least in some kind of winter weather advisory, whether it's a winter weather advisory for the north or a winter storm warning for the southern part, but yeah, it kind of does fantail and expand as you do head towards the west. A little more snow potential with the colder temperatures, I'm guessing, out that way, but... We're kind of getting, once again, lulled into thinking, oh, things are going to be nice for a while. What's the temperatures improving out there right now? But lo and behold, another system moving in. I'm, I'm starting to, I'm to the point where I'm starting to get some uh, hate texts from people. Stop saying the S word so many times. Exactly. Eventually. But it looks like after we get past this system tonight into tomorrow, mm-hmm. things definitely looking up for the long term. All right, we'll take it. He betcha. Right now, temperatures mostly in the low and mid-40s cross area. We do have some patchy clouds from about North Platte and Lexington on over to Grand Island and the Hastings area. They may be kicking up a few sprinkles to the north of Lexington and Elm Creek and also right around the Elwood and Bertrand area. But once again, very positive temperatures and pretty much region-wide, those temperatures in the low and mid-40s, some upper 40s to low 50s over northeast colorado and northwest kansas we do have some winter weather advisories to pass along to you first off a winter storm warning is in effect from tryon and ogallala into the southern panhandle this evening through six tomorrow evening heavy snow expected with total accumulations of five to seven inches that's a winter storm warning once again tryon and ogallala into the southern panhandle wrapped around this winter storm warning we do have a winter storm watch for Thedford to Broken Bow, North Platte, and points to the west. That is this evening through tomorrow evening. So if you're not in the winter storm morning, you're in this winter storm watch. Thedford to Broken Bow, North Platte, and points to the west. This evening through tomorrow evening, heavy snow possible with accumulations of 3 to 6 inches. Right around that winter storm morning, probably going to see a winter weather advisory expanded or issued. Already a winter weather advisory issued for the northern panhandle. That's this evening through 6 tomorrow evening for snow accumulations of 2 to 4 inches. We will see clouds mixed with our sunshine for today. Temperatures about 10 degrees below average, but it does feel nicer with those lighter winds. Low pressure approaching, increasing that cloud cover today. Rain chances increased to likely by this afternoon across western areas of Nebraska. Tonight, as that area of low pressure drops to the southeast, our snow chances with some rain increasing from west to east. The best chances across Nebraska. The most likely period for accumulating snow comes tomorrow morning when those temperatures are right below freezing in the 20s. For most of us, temperatures will warm into the 30s for tomorrow afternoon, and we will start to see some rain start to mix with that snow. That snow and rain gradually coming to an end for tomorrow afternoon from north to south as this low departs. Daytime highs tomorrow, 25 degrees colder than normal. Adding to that chill tomorrow will be some breezy northerly winds tomorrow going to be 
pretty brutal day. Some flurries may linger behind that system for tomorrow night into central and east areas. Sunshine and a warmer trend are back for Friday into early next week as high pressure builds from the west. Temperatures will warm from 15 degrees below average on Friday to 10 degrees warmer than normal by Tuesday. By Tuesday, a few thunderstorms are possible with low pressure that tracks across the southern plains. In our long-term forecast, some good news. Warmer than normal temperatures are predicted Monday through April 28th for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. The precipitation outlook for Nebraska and Kansas, near normal to slightly above normal precipitation Monday through the 28th. With the much colder than normal temperatures, our soil temperatures continue to drop. Four inches down at 7 this morning to the north of I-80. Soil temperatures in the low 30s along and south of I-80 into western Kansas. The soil temperatures in the mid to upper 30s. The rest of Kansas with soil temperatures in the central and east in the low half of the 40s. Weather factors driving the markets include... Wintry weather in the Midwest through the end of the week and continued promising rain chances in wheat areas of Russia. Cool weather will persist nearly nationwide for the rest of this week. Frost and light freezes may occur tomorrow morning as far south as northern areas of Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi, as well as parts of the Carolinas. Tomorrow and Friday, the precipitation will quickly spread across the central plains, lower Midwest, and Ohio Valley. In the Midwest and Northern Plains, the precipitation and cold will once again add to the unfavorable conditions for field work. Fortunately, the weather turning warmer and with lower precipitation chances the final 10 days of this month. Southern Plains rain chances are increasing for the last half of this week to offer some benefit for winter wheat. Temperatures will slowly moderate after dropping to possibly damaging levels for jointing wheat early this week. In the Black Sea region, especially Russia, moderate to heavy rain is expected this week to benefit the soil moisture for their winter wheat. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, we will... Uh We'll see how it all shapes up here in the next uh, next few hours. Exactly. Right in central Nebraska, probably about one to three inches. Lesser amounts as you do head towards northern areas of eastern Nebraska, but mm-hmm. right around one to three inches for much of central Nebraska into southern Nebraska. But the main brunt of this storm from about, once again, Broken Bow and North Platte and points towards the west. And always, with nice thing about the spring storms, too, is the snow doesn't stick around very long. Exactly. So. And probably not going to be too much of a travel problem in central areas here. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather Chat, KRBN.com. District. Even during COVID-19, the work continues to keep American agriculture safe. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. This morning, I spoke with Greg Eibach. Greg is the Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs within the USDA. Yes, so we have to continue with our uh, normal responsibilities of uh, being present at the border to make sure pests and diseases don't come in on imports because we're still bringing seasonal fruit and vegetable uh, products into the United States at this time. Uh, We're also watching um, for uh, shipments that uh, are coming in that might be carrying masks or medical supplies so that there aren't uh, any prohibited substances creeping in in the back corner of one of those shipments. We're working with CBP. We uh, have the responsibility to uh, uh, grade uh, the U.S. produce and uh, livestock that's going through uh, our processing facilities to make sure that consumers are getting the products that they expect and the quality they expect. And then we're also working very closely with the administration 
to be able to uh, figure out the impacts of COVID-19 on our different uh, segments and commodities within U.S. agriculture and analyze their requests for aid and assistance uh, as we uh, look to put together a package to roll out to farmers and ranchers across our nation. And just, you know, so it's something that, you know, many uh, people don't think about. But uh, oh, last two weeks ago when the tiger was affected with COVID-19 at the zoo, it was APHIS that was uh, front and center and analyzing and doing the testing and responding to uh, that incident in New York City as well. News on the evenings and on the internet, a lot of talk about concerns about food shortages as we see more and more plants going dark temporarily because of COVID-19. What changes are you guys doing when it comes to the food regulation programs to continue to keep that food supply going? So one of our first responses was is to try to help the food industry respond to uh, the packaging and labeling requirements that uh, weren't necessarily the same uh, for foods going into food service and the restaurant industry as they are if we're going to market them uh, through a retail grocery store. And so uh, we took a look at our regulations at uh, USDA and many of those regulations are in uh, the Egg Marketing Service, uh, one of the agencies under uh, my mission area. And so we changed some of those regulations and expanded and relaxed some of those so that we could move that food from retail and food service destination into, um, not retail and food, uh, uh, restaurant and food service into retail. And that uh, helped out eggs, it helped out some of our produce, it helped out some of the packaging in uh, some of the meats as well. And uh, then, uh, you know, we continue to be concerned about how, uh, uh, as plants have uh, cases of COVID-19, how they uh, understand and adapt to the CDC guidance uh, how they uh, communicate with their local community to make them understand all the special protective uh, barriers they've put in around their employees at the different plants across our nation. We'll hear more from Greg Ibaugh as the day goes on. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Rural Radio Network. It's time for sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, today is National Letterman Tent Signing Day across the country. Nebraska is slated to sign five transfers today and boost its roster to 12 scholarship players. That includes signatures from the nation's leading junior college scorer in Teddy Allen, one of the top players in the Summit League a year ago, a 6'8 athletic wing, a former starter at Wisconsin, and one of the best point guards in the ACC a year ago. UNK head men's basketball coach Kevin Lofton looks to sign three players today. Last week, former Wilmigo, Kansas star TJ Fritz announced on Twitter that he intends to sign with the Lopers. He played at Sunrise Christian Academy last season in Wichita. As a senior at Wamigo two years ago, the 6'3 shooting guard led all of Class 4A in Kansas scoring 22 points per game. 
The NCAA transfer portal was implemented a couple of years ago as a tool to streamline how athletes could change schools. It was intended to ease the burden on administrators, increase transparency, and empower athletes. Many college basketball coaches say it has made transferring far too easy, giving players an out for any reason. Wichita State, for example, they have seven players in this year's transfer portal. Well, Casey Schuett is a new head girls basketball coach at Gothenburg. The Maxwell grad has been the head coach at her alma mater the last three years, and before that, she was an assistant at Maxwell. She talks about her decision to leave her hometown. That's been a question that's asked quite a bit, actually. Uh, you know, it, it was pretty. It was a pretty tough decision. I was going back and forth uh, for about a week. You know, I thought I would, then I thought I wouldn't, and then uh, what it came down to really is. You know, I gotta push myself professionally, and to do that, I gotta get out of my comfort zone. So that's kind of my ultimate decision. Shewitt went thirty-four and thirty-three in her three seasons at Maxwell, including a fourteen and eight record this past year. Well, today marks the seventy-third anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier. Yet there were four black men who broke the NFL color barrier the year before. Bob Kenrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, explains what it is about Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier that still holds a special place in American history. The simple answer is baseball, America's national pastime. When it opened its door to Jackie Robinson, our country literally followed suit. And Robinson's breaking of the color barrier wasn't just a part of the civil rights movement, it was the beginning. This is before Brown versus the Board of Education. This is before Rosa Parks. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was just a sophomore at Morehouse College when Robinson signs his contract to play in the Dodgers organization. President Truman would not integrate the armed forces until a year after Jackie. This year actually marks the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Negro Leagues at the YMCA in downtown Kansas City. That's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Positive COVID-19 cases have increased daily in the state of Nebraska, but some communities are still having trouble following community guidelines. Kearney is no exception, as Dr. Tammy Moore, a city of Kearney councilwoman, states. It's very hard to not be social in a community like Kearney. There's a lot of frustration I know about that. I think we're at a point now where we're realizing that it's in the best interest of our community to follow the guidelines. Moore added that some community events are being created to promote social activities while still practicing social distancing. Nebraska state government had better-than-expected tax collections in March, despite a surge in unemployment and widespread hardship caused by the new coronavirus. The Nebraska Department of Revenue reports net tax collections of $380 million, which is about 12% higher than the projected forecast of $339 million. The department says net individual and corporate income taxes, net sales and use taxes, and net miscellaneous taxes were all higher than projected in March. Net tax collections are also higher than expected in the current fiscal year, which ends June 30th. Department of Revenue spokeswoman Lydia Brash says the March numbers are a reflection of the economy before the outbreak. CHI Health is using virtual visits to provide routine care amid COVID-19. Dr. Terry Becker, CHI Health Kearney Clinic, says telehealth is a good option as a way to see your doctor. The first option is through a simple telephone call. I think the better of the two options, though, is the ability to use a HIPAA-compliant Zoom platform for healthcare, so it would be actual video link visit, 
that will allow us to see our patients, interact with our patients. They will be able to see me in my office, go through a medication list, and kind of talk about some of the healthcare issues that they're having and, and how they're doing with those things. The benefit of that is to be able to keep, especially some of our older, more vulnerable patients out of the office and away from potential exposure to COVID-19. CHI Health says 450 providers are set up on the Zoom platform with more than 800 in the process. Providers will be added in waves with those in primary care and family medicine among the first. Patients do still have the option of seeing their providers in person. Nebraska Public Power District is working on a power outage affecting 1,158 customers in Gordon this morning. Gordon is located in Sheridan County in northwest Nebraska. A circuit switcher failed in a substation at approximately 5.30 a.m. Mountain Time. A substation crew from Ogallala has been dispatched to the area to determine what repairs need to be made to restore power for the area. NPPD spokesman Mark Becker says it's going to take a while to resolve the problem and bring the power back on. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson. Welcome back to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Yesterday you joined Jacob Wingbach and myself as we discussed food security and consumer choice. We learned that the U.S. has a very affordable food supply, but at first glance has limited choices in its distribution and retail. So what about direct-to-the-consumer marketing, from the ranch gate to their plate? It is possible, and for some of us in rural America, privately processed meat is a staple in our diets. Growing up, I had 4-H and FFA market steers, and the one that didn't make the show string often stayed on the place in the deep freezer. Many of us can relate to a similar story. Now, trying to sell someone their first locker beef, pig, lamb, or goat, the sticker shock of buying an entire animal or partial animal can be overwhelming. So, Jacob, that's where I want to pick up our conversation again. How do you address the price of privately processed meat? I don't know if this is the answer people are going to want to hear, but or necessarily that you're looking for, but from my perspective, it, it boils down to what do you value? you know, as the consumer. Now, we live in the United States of America, one of the most prosperous times in the history of the universe. And if you have disposable income or have the ability to have a preference on what type of product you want to choose and you don't want necessarily the cheapest product, then I think you should have the opportunity to have that. And what happens is when you want to open a small business and you want to sell a product to the consumer and that product is a much higher quality product, the consumer sometimes, not all the time, I mean, there are definitely a lot of families and and individuals who definitely put their dollar to work and vote with their dollar for what they believe in and what they value. Now, with respect to beef, if you want to try to do that on any kind of scale, you've got to compete globally now. And the fact of the matter is we cannot compete with multinational foreign companies, and our government has allowed that. I mean, I cannot produce a beef product cheaper than importing it from a communist country or a country that doesn't share the values of ours, and they don't pay their workers a a living wage because they don't have to. I mean, Sandhills Beef Company, we're a very small company, but we have a huge opportunity to grow. I could hire 15 people probably within the next six months if people decided that higher quality product and hard work. Because the fact of the matter is, breaking down dry-aged beef or locker beef or just beef in general, standing on concrete and all that, that's, that's hard work. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm not saying that people should feel sorry for us in any capacity. 
But the beauty of it is the quality of the product is second to none, and you can only get it in America. And right now, you can't get that in the grocery store. Yesterday, I alluded to a plan that you've been devising on what the future of small retail meat could look like. I know you've discussed it some on your social media, but Jacob, what does that plan look like? Ultimately, for producers to have the ability to determine their own price, they need to have access to the market. And right now, there's a lot of different gatekeepers in our food market. Just take the beef side, because that's that's where I currently reside. Producers have to have access to a packing plant, and then they have to have access to the consumer. The difficulty of that is there's not a lot of small packing plants. And most of our packing plants in this country are owned by very few corporations. There's, there's quite a number of small ones that do very limited volume. But the large, large packing plants do massive volumes of uh, slaughter and processing every day, 250 to 400 head an hour. And that's just crazy. I mean, that is so much volume, which is fine. That's what you have to do to have the cheapest food that we currently have. However, what that means is if you're a producer and you want to sell directly to the consumer, you're not going to be able to get into that large packing plant. And those smaller packing plants are generally extremely busy already feeding the local pasture-to-plate or ranch-to-table, nose-to-tail. So that gets back to why we did what we did and opened up a, a packing plant with a desire of being inspected to offer the opportunity there. And we ran into a lot of headaches and red tape with the federal government that seemingly really didn't need to be there. But then I came to realize that, you know, in order for this to really prosper and grow, we need to open up more of these packing plants. And from my perspective, who better to to own those or lease them or whatever it may be than, than the producer? And having gone through this process, I wanted to offer entrepreneurial forward-thinking producers the opportunity to do that. And I, there's actually a grant money available in the Farm Bill under what used to be called the Value-Added Producer Grant for them to do that. And I have gained a wealth of knowledge just in this last five to six years opening this place. And frankly, once we get it going, I'd like to do it again. Jacob, I appreciate our conversation here, but we're once again coming to a close. So what are your final thoughts or closing comments? I do want to make one more point, and it's it's based on what you had asked me earlier. The consumer is the most important person in this conversation. I don't know that as Americans we understand how important how we spend our money is. From my perspective, we can we can get consumers who value the product we deliver at a very reasonable price. With our calculations and uh, business plans I've put together, I can put together basically bundles of the best part of a half a beef for about five ninety nine a pound. Now, granted, that's coming and getting it and mulling, but I can ship it to you, and we don't mark up shipping or anything like that. This is not a plug, so I'm just trying to make people aware. I challenge consumers to and say, you know what? We do want the highest quality product that Americans make, that American producers provide, and that American small businesses can deliver to us. Because we do want that experience, and we do want that connection. I think if we chose to spend our dollar that way and knew that we were receiving the best possible product, and it came from our country, country and those dollars stayed here, I think consumers would have that opportunity. That again, Jacob Wingbach, Sandhills Beef Company on food security and consumer choice. Thanks for listening to the Rural Radio Network.
With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are swinging back down in trading on Wall Street amid more signs of how severely the coronavirus outbreak is damaging the economy. Markets have been stuck cycling between fear and budding optimism in recent weeks as investors try to guess how long and deep the looming recession will be, and several new reports highlighted how dismal the outlook is becoming. American industry collapsed in March as the pandemic wreaked havoc on the U.S. economy. Manufacturing and overall industrial production posted the biggest drops since the United States demobilized after World War II. The Federal Reserve says that manufacturing output dropped 6.3% last month, led by plunging production at auto factories. Overall, industrial production, which includes factories, utilities, and mines, plummeted 5.4%. The Commerce Department reports retail sales plummeted 8.7% in March, a record drop as the viral outbreak closed down thousands of stores and shoppers stayed home. Sales fell sharply across many categories. Auto sales fell 25.6%. Clothing store sales collapsed, dropping 50.5%. Grocery store sales jumped by nearly 26% as Americans stocked up on food and consumer goods to ride out the pandemic. The major banks in the U.S. are anticipating a flood of loan defaults as households and business customers take a big financial hit from the coronavirus pandemic. Bank of America and Citigroup said today that their profits sank more than 40% in the first quarter as both set aside billions for potentially bad loans. And Nebraskans who order takeout during the coronavirus pandemic may soon be able to get a side of bread, milk, and toilet paper. Governor Pete Ricketts is relaxing state rules that govern what local eateries can sell to give more flexibility as they struggle with sharp declines in business. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. As COVID-19 continues to spread, we see plants shutting down for a couple days, two weeks, or even more. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I talked with Greg Eyeball, who is the Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs within the USDA, about these concerns with COVID-19 and how it's affecting CAFOs, not only for pork and poultry, but beef as well. Yeah, well, that's exactly the concern that we're seeing in the livestock industry is how we keep animals moving through the different uh, uh, segments within each uh, sector. You know, we know that the pork industry is reliant on getting fat hogs to the processing facility because they have a new group of feeder pigs uh, that have to move in. They sometimes only have a day or two to Uh, prepare the facility and disinfect the facility from one group to the next and those uh, piglets have to leave the nursery because they're coming from uh, the uh, sow uh, facilities right uh, behind each other as well and so this is a concern and it's also a concern that's in the beef industry so that's why we've been working very closely with the packing industry i've been involved in a number of conversations and also been trying to help them deal with local health departments that to have questions and concerns about what's going on in their communities that uh, uh, know that there are a lot of employees at those packing plants and have been concerned about whether or not uh, they have proper 
safeguards in place. And so uh, we've been able in a number of instances to help those uh, health local health departments understand that they're operating within CDC guidelines. Many of them are exceeding CDC guidelines and expectations and also helping the local health departments understand that food and agriculture has been declared by the president to be a critical industry and so you know many health uh, officials look at eliminating risk as a critical industry and feeding people we have to look at making sure we're managing the risk to the maximum possible we're falling within those cdc guidelines so we can allow food to be processed and produced and delivered to the grocery stores because if we were saw panic when we thought we were going to run out of toilet paper can you imagine the panic that would create within our country if we started seeing empty grocery short shelves on a regular basis that couldn't be restocked do you think we might see a, a change greg in the in the way that um we see the interstate uh, movement um the smaller plants that are you know maybe processing I'm thinking, you know, the individual butchers. Will there be some changes in guidelines for them to be able to help to meet that demand that's out there? You know, I think uh, we're going to continue to look at the different options. I think uh, we also have to make sure that as we're going through this process, that if we make changes to our regulations, we can still assure that food safety uh, is in place because uh, we don't want to do anything to... Uh, undermine the confidence that our consumers have in our food safety system and so you know we'll we will look at how we can relax regulations as long as we can be assured that uh, we can meet the food safety standards that uh, consumers expect we'll be hearing more from undersecretary greg ibaugh in the days to come as we talk about the dairy and the beef industry and issues happening there as well you can keep up to date on all the latest information, COVID and agriculture as well, through our website at ruralradio.com. I'm Susan Littlefield, Rural Radio Network. Play Patton on the Rural Radio Network, talking now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain, as we take a closer look at the closing grain futures and settlements. And John, we're in the red across the board, but I think there's still some positive things to gleam from. And I want to start with that solid note per crush numbers today and a meal market that's coming around. Yeah, you'd think meal would have performed better. I, I'm you know, I'm thinking it's just a you know function of the South American harvest, new product available from Argentina. Um but given that, uh, you know, the DDG market's on fire, I can't imagine the meal's going to stay down here. So, you know, July, July is just, I think these July futures right now are, I would not buy them yet. I think you hold them until the end of the month. Delivery, and this will be something I say every day for the next two weeks, so I apologize for being repetitive, but this delivery will just be nasty. I think folks are going to be flushed out. Producers who I know, I know, I know a lot of them need to sell or want to sell by the end of the month just to, um, you know, just to give, give them some cushion going into the, the growing season. I think a lot of those folks are going to roll at some point, just pick up a carry and look to do it in July. I think that'll prevent, or that'll be a little bit detriment to the July rally that I expect us to have. But, um, you know, 305, I don't think you jump in yet. I think, I think you'll look at the 16 low and assume we'll test it, and that's down at 302. I go back to the old trader saying that maybe oats knows, and oats closes higher here today. Maybe are we starting to break up a little bit on that Black Sea forecast? 
Yeah, I mean, oats, wheat, I think the feed grain markets here are bullish. I think corn is going to join them. I just think it's going to take a couple of weeks before it can get in its, its affairs in order. But the KC wheat market here is going to follow Chicago. Chicago, obviously, is heavily speculated on when, you know, the condition reports come out Monday that don't show much. You get selling uh, on top of kind of macro selling. But that wheat market is going to be an animal if we have problems here in the next couple of months. We had freezes across a lot of the KC wheat regions last uh, two nights ago. We got snow in the forecast for another couple of days here. Uh, I just think you, you you can't be too short wheat right now. I know the delivery pressures that corn will see will affect wheat to a certain degree, but you know I still think July five twenty is in the cards. You know high five five fifteen five twenty is where you target sales. We're down at four eighty five into the close, so I think at some point here the next month things will turn around, the dollar will break, and you know the optimism is speaking right now. I think if we never reopen, then obviously things won't develop that way, but uh, I assume things are going to be moving here in the next couple of weeks, a lot sooner than I think the, the public may be ready for. And again, John Payne was Senior Marketing Analyst at Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Again, if you'd like to see their daily newsletter this week in grain or this day in grain and oil seeds, visit danielsagmarketing.com. Again, danielsagmarketing.com. To remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Please consider these risks before investing. And that'll wrap up today's midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com or subscribe on Spotify or iTunes as our midday podcast is sponsored by Divinity Mo. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divinity Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DiviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divinity deal.